Welcome to another Kessler Foundation podcast. In this episode, Jessica Ganga, our Communications and Digital Media Coordinator, and me, Joan Banks-Smith, creative producer here at the Foundation, had the opportunity to speak with Allie Welsh, wife, mother, school teacher, and caregiver, to her husband, Pete, who was diagnosed with a traumatic brain injury as a result of a traumatic event. Listen in as Jessica starts us off. November is National Family Caregivers Month, highlighting the dedication, love, and care that family caregivers provide to their loved one with a disability. Some research studies here at Kessler Foundation look into programs and tools to provide support for family caregivers, like Allie Welsh. Allie and her husband, Pete, who has traumatic brain injury, have participated in caregiver and TBI studies at Kessler Foundation, and we are very glad to have the chance to speak with Allie today. Welcome, and thank you for joining us today, Allie. Thank you so much for having me. When you became a caregiver for Pete after he was diagnosed with TBI, how did your life change? I think that you know, overnight my life really changed dramatically from, you know, one that first and foremost, I never even really knew what a TBI was. I guess I like had an idea of what a non-traumatic brain injury would be as in um, a stroke or an aneurysm, but I never really focused on like what going through a TBI would entail. My husband did have a traumatic event and actually he was my boyfriend at the time. We were 23 years old. We were dating about a year and a half. I don't think most 23-year-olds are thinking that anything like that will even happen to them, let alone like how it would affect their life, even from, you know, the immediate next day to next week to next month. And then, you know, nine years later to where we are today, like there's constantly still ways that life is affected in dramatic ways. I guess going off of that, what has your experience as a caregiver been like since Pete's accident through his recovery and to now being husband and wife? Really, for the first two years, our lives were really like bogged down in, you know, like the day to day, like true, true caregiving. My husband was in the um, ICU for 22 days and then he was inpatient at Kessler Rehab for about three months. And then he did outpatient at Kessler Rehab for um, like close to a year through various programs. Each phase of that looked different. Also, we had a very unique situation because I was a girlfriend, not a family member. The immediate night of the accident, you know, we called 911 and the police took me in the um, like a police car to the hospital. And I was able to see him in the ER. But I wasn't able to, um, you know, get any medical information. I called both of his parents and they gave consent for, you know, like life-sustaining measurements and things like that and for the surgeries that went on immediately. But it was very clear that I was going to have to continue to like fight and advocate for like my right to um, being his, you know, loved one in the area. We lived in New Jersey and Pete grew up in West Virginia. So his parents came from West Virginia. But, you know, at 23, it's this weird age where, like, I remember saying in the moment, like, if you could wake Pete up and for him to designate one person to make decisions and be his caregiver, at like in a moment of lucidity, it would be me, not just because that's what I thought, but because that was the relationship. But I had essentially no way to, to prove any of that. Now, eventually, many months down the line, he signed off on a power of attorney for um, me to be his healthcare advocate as he continued in his recovery so that I was able to like have some true rights. 
because like everybody else, there's always different dynamics um, to, to kind of go through in families and in, in relationships. And so, you know, caregiving immediately looked with like a lot of, you know, his family very, very much including me in decisions, but also like I was just the girlfriend. His family came and stayed as long as they could, but there was a time when like they had to go back to their lives and jobs. I stayed in New Jersey, was there daily. My family was there daily. Again, my family having no like true caregiving rights, but actually being the caregivers. And similarly, as he moved to inpatient at Kessler and then outpatient, him coming home and kind of navigating through that looked a lot differently as a caregiver. Again, being 23, 24 years old, not really understanding what it entails and kind of the road that we had ahead of us. And then, um, you know, just kind of every single phase as the, as the years have gone by, even though we think that life is this way, I'm still caregiving in these different unique situations. Thank you for sharing that part of your story, because I feel like there might be people that are in a similar situation as you and may hear this podcast and feel a lot better to know that there is somebody that went through you know, the same, the same situation and can kind of relate. I would love to help them because in my experience with everyone that I've met through all of the different avenues of life, it's 95% of caregivers that I've experienced are either like parent to child or spouse. And again, my husband and I got married when we were 25. So about like a year and a half, two years after his accident. And really our wedding was like, just like a giant celebration of like life and love and happiness, like more, you know, more than like a traditional wedding would even really entail. Everyone was like just really celebrating like Pete's life. But I think it, it was very unique. So I hope that others can kind of feel solace in that because I always felt alone in my caregiver experience, especially being in my 20s, you know, not quite an adult yet having a lot of responsibilities. And that like, you know, I never really thought I would, I would ever do or definitely not looking long term, 10 years, 20 years, how that would continue to shape our life. You participated in caregiver studies at the foundation. What did you learn about caregiving from being a part of those studies? So I think what I learned is kind of twofold. I definitely learned that no matter how different everyone's situation is, there's still so many similarities that the caregivers have. And whether it be like about their personality and, and like the way that they carry themselves and the things that they interact with, you know, no, mat no matter the age, like the problems that crop up, the um, strategies that need to be put in place, you know, I I felt that there was this connection that was able to be formed through that study. I think the other big thing that I found is that at the end of the day, we are just all humans who care for each other. And no matter what happens in your life, you, like at the drop of a hat, for the people you love, you stop and you, you step into this role no matter what. Right. Like that almost that, that like over encompassing love surpasses any of the like real part of, of the decision making. And you know that you just have to do whatever without like kind of having blinders on all of those other things that if you stopped and paused, you might think like, 
oh, you know, this is really going to affect in a different way. Or, I, you know, maybe 15 years later, this wouldn't have been the same choice if I knew all that I went through. But that love just pushes you forward. And I think no matter the caregiver, that's really what I've you know, been able to connect with. That's really beautiful. <laughs> and, um, and what advice do you have to offer to people that become caregivers to their loved ones, either unexpectedly um, or, you know, they anticipated the, the situation? What, what advice do you have to offer? I think that I would tell them that like everything else in life, there are going to be really, really, really bad days, really hard days, really frustrating. You're disappointed in yourself. You're disappointed in your reactions, the things you chose to do in that moment. But you also have to just, you know, give yourself an added layer of grace that you're doing something that is is really unexpected of you, um, and and not something that everyone can withstand and withstand the pressure of and the daily grind and the, the never going away. I think that um, anybody that that knows my husband and I, um, with like people we've met later in life past his accident that didn't know whatever happened, they still know that I, for lack of a better way to say it, like help him in things and that I'm, I'm like always working to still caregive for him, even though he doesn't have some typical things that people like I think that the the thought of what caregiving is is the very physical caregiving and not the um emotional and that like mental load that goes along with the caregiving. One of the things that you don't realize until you're in a situation of being a caregiver is it's not just the physical, it's the mental. What have you done for your own self-care or respite throughout these years? Oh my goodness. <laughs> so important and such a hard question. Um, I think that this is another thing that all caregivers would like right away giggle about because 100 billion percent self-care in this type of situation is so important. Prioritizing my own mental health and, um, you know, like personally going through therapy, um, like grieving my husband's accident, you know, I, like it, it was a very traumatic experience that I went through personally, even though he went through it myself, the immediate people that were there, my mom and my dad, you know, Pete's family who came the hours thereafter, like everyone has had to, to kind of grieve it and go through it their own way. So like truthfully accepting that, like that took many years to, to like recognize that I need to really deal with that. Also, this is something that a lot of people don't talk about in my opinion, but like grieving, like the life that you would have had um, without being like so hyper-focused. But, you know, like, again, I was 23, you know, there was whatever avenue that I thought my life would take, you know, and the avenue that I did take. And just, again, being honest and understanding and like giving myself kindness that like, it's okay to have those feelings. Many, many years of therapy of like dealing with that, it doesn't take away like my love and my care for my husband or the, you know, caregiving that I've done or the journey that's led us here. But I think that in an ideal world, like, yeah, like getting alone time or like, you know, a vacation, all of that would be great self-care. Um, I also channeled my energy into becoming a marathon runner. So I started running at 25. So um, a couple of years into Pete's time. And that was 
a time that I was able to really focus on myself and and like prioritize myself, set some lofty goals and achieve them and have like the successes be about me rather than always about Pete and his successes, which were of course important, but it felt like I was becoming my own self. So kind of like channeling, you know, not a lot of free time, but like being hyper-focused on what I could do in the small amounts of free time that weren't caregiving. Again, my husband doesn't have a lot of um, physical need. So I can definitely understand how for some caregivers listening right now, they're thinking like, I could never dedicate hours to, to running a marathon. But, you know, my, my husband has a lot of mental need. And so I think that self-care is super important. I think every single caregiver would be like, self-care, what's that? <laughs> As you said, every situation is truly unique to the caregiver. So I guess it's just finding what that what you need as a caregiver to make sure that you have yourself kept in mind. For me, it always felt overwhelming. Like there's no way I could take this amount of time or like even an hour a week for therapy. Like, or I would spend my whole therapy time talking about like the day-to-day monotony, right? Like, but making it a little bit bigger and truly focusing on myself like as self-care says, right? Like that was the way that I was able to really actually care for myself and be my own caregiver. Talking about self-care, you've talked about therapy for yourself. Did you find that being a part of a support group for caregivers was helpful or did you join any? I think support groups are incredibly helpful. Again, just that like, you know, connection immediately, like everyone in that room knows what you're going through, even if situations unique, which of course it will be, like you're going to be able to find some threads and commonalities. I felt whenever I was able to interact with other people, it was comforting. I have definitely been here and there in finding different support groups. There's a great one through Kessler. It's like a a dual split group where they have like the survivors meet and the caregivers meet during some meetings. And that has been really helpful because again, you're you're able to make those connections. But I also find that because we're a little bit longer into our caregiving than some people at these meetings, I was able to kind of like backtrack and like give like, oh, these are all the things that have we've tried some things for you to like multiple strategies and things. So I think support is like at at the basis of what you need, because no matter how supportive your family and your friends are, no one gets it unless you're doing it. Thank you for sharing that with us. Certainly beneficial to people to hear that there are others out there. And like you say, not everybody has the same needs, but it's still, you're in this together. There's always information to share that will help you get through the daily grind. Yes, exactly. I'm sure lots of caregivers feel this way, but I wish that I could like dedicate my life's work to like providing caregiver support. Like, I think that this is this is a huge need for this in the country, like everything else. Um, you know, I think that from like, from day one on, like, like so many things that are confusing and you just like, don't even know where to begin from like Medicaid, Medicaid, like all these different, like, like actual like government entities, you know, that you're like on a phone that's ringing forever to ask your question. And yes, there are case managers and things and people in the hospitals and recovery centers to help with, but there's nothing like, you know, a, a, a real live person that you can connect with. And I always have said that I would like to take a team of caregivers and like create this like mini army that can like go and share this information because 
the people who, and, and actually it's almost, I think probably five people in the nine years um, of Pete's accident of like, you know, friends of friends or like people that we personally know that have had TBIs themselves or a loved one has had a TBI. They've reached out. Hey, I know you went through this. Can you tell me your experience with blank or this or what you would do for that? And it's just invaluable. Like everyone is doing their absolute hardest to share certain information, but other things is just like impossible to figure out. And so that's where, again, a support group is nice because you're able to share those little tidbits. But like this is a much bigger need than I think people even realize. So I'm really thankful that, you know, this podcast is coming out because I think that like caregivers need to be like a little bit more focused on. Everyone focuses on the survivors, rightfully so. But, <laughs> you know, no, ma no matter your age, no matter your gender, no matter your relationship, it is difficult and it is a lot of work for a variety of reasons. And I think that anything that people can do to make it easier for others, like if, you know, this is like so silly, but I remember one time telling someone because my husband doesn't drive because of his accident. And there's like a, a service in New Jersey through run through the state where like a, a bus will come and pick you up and take you to therapies and things. And so my, my husband was taking a bus to Kessler that was like state run that we didn't um, pay for. And like, there were many people in the caregiver support group who was like, what? Like, we didn't know that was a thing. And that's something that like, everybody should be taking advantage of. And you know, like, that's absolutely nothing against the people who didn't pass that, that information along. There's just so much information that needs to be passed along. And so there really needs to be this like front line of caregivers who could be like, hey, well, these are things that I know. And like, you know, just almost be like special. I, I don't know. I have, I have a lot of grand ideas. <laughs> I know that there are case managers like in the hospital who say like, oh, apply for this, this and this. But they're going to visit how many hundreds of people because they're not just visiting the TBI people. That's why like if there could be like a small sector, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how it would work. But I just feel like there's so much missing information. Like my husband, all of his disability claims got denied to begin with for various reasons. And just the fact that like we knew you could like appeal in a successful manner typically, that's why he was able to receive the benefits that he did. But most people get that denial letter and they're like, oh, that's it. Like, and, you know, having someone say, no, no, wait, look at this part about appeal. Do that. Like, <laughs> I feel like there's information all over the place. and people don't know where to find it. Yes. Or they don't know that it's even there, as you said, to begin with. And then they feel like they reach the end of the road and it's like, no, 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 you can keep going. <laughs> but people don't know. Exactly. And like maybe someone thought that they did know, well, it says it in the letter, you can appeal. But like maybe you have to appeal two, three times. Mm. Like, you know, there's, there's just so many things that having that like advocate for the caregivers would be like, this is what I'd love to do. Like I'm a, I'm a high school teacher and I love that job for a lot of reasons because I care give in a different way. Hmm. But I I just feel like this is such important work that I hope in like my second half of my life I could help with. <laughs> well, you'd be the perfect one to do so. Oh, thank <laughs> you sound very, very passionate about um, this subject. Very evident throughout the podcast. Yeah, so I appreciate yeah. that. It's it's important work that caregivers do, mm -hmm. and it's difficult work. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I really appreciate to help spread that word. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for your time. Definitely. 
And if you, the listener, are interested in participating in either one of our caregiver studies that are currently going on, more information is linked in our program notes. So the the final question is, you and your husband donate to Kessler Foundation. Why do you choose to support the foundation and the research that is done here? We do everything in our power to um, work alongside Kessler Foundation because the work is just so meaningful. Like, I think I say this every time I talk about Kessler Foundation, that Kessler gave us our lives back. Like the, the hospital saved Pete's life, but the life that we have is because of the work that the doctors and the nurses and the staff everybody in Kessler did and they are directly helped because of Kessler Foundation like we have our life because of Kessler Foundation and before i even knew what Kessler was right we donate our time and our money and our energy so that we can help other people be given such a high level of care and support and the most innovative technologies and procedures and and tools that they can give because my husband is the level healed, the you know way that he is in his life because of the care he received through Kessler. Well, we are incredibly thankful for people like you, Allie, and your husband, Pete. Uh, this is why we do what we do every day, um, from my position to Jody's to the researchers. Thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Tuned into our podcast series lately? Join our listeners in 90 countries who enjoy learning about the work of Kessler Foundation. Be sure and subscribe to our SoundCloud channel, Kessler Foundation, for more research updates. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast was recorded on November 16th, 2021, remotely, and was edited and produced by Joan Banks-Smith, creative producer for Kessler Foundation.